Let's pray. Spirit of God, we wait for you as we listen, as we partake. Minister to us in Christ's name. Amen. Mark is, uh, if you're a Pharisee, it's a bewildering bombardment of things that you're just going, what has happened all in just over a chapter? Uh, Lepers at the end of chapter one have been touched. Uh, People have been told their sins are forgiven. Uh, Jesus is not only having a tax collector as one of his own, but he's going to eat with them and party with them. Sabbaths are being challenged as to how they should be acted on. Um, Fasting is being questioned. Everything, everything seems to be a challenge to the way that it is. Jesus seems to be bringing something incredibly new. Um, And it's a challenge, I guess, we've had all down through the history of the church. But let's, for a moment or two, get ourselves maybe thinking about some of the clashes that we might see here between the old and the new. Because it seemed to me that as Ruth was reading, that uh, when it came to that bit where the new wine is put into the old wineskins, Jesus was concerned that both would be lost. He wasn't saying that the new wine would be lost and who cared about the old wineskins. He says, we don't do this. We don't pour new wine into old wineskins because if we do so, both will be lost. There's something here where Jesus is not saying this is a new way dismissing the old way, that this is a new way that maybe fulfills the old way, might be how we might read it if we read in the Sermon of the Mount how Jesus came to say, I didn't come to take it away. I came to fulfill it. There's a relationship with the new and the old that isn't one completely disappearing at the cost of the other arriving. Let me look at this Old Testament, New Testament thing, uh, if I can, in my uh, folksy, um, non-theological kind of way. Philip Yancey, he would now be really annoyed that I've called him folksy and non-theological, but uh, I didn't mean that. Philip Yancey, Uh, In a seminar, I heard him speak at Greenbelt once, said something that really kind of helped me uh, to to untangle this. He talked about how our spiritual development moves from us being children to adults to parents. In other words, we're children who need looked after. We become adults and we begin to think for ourselves and we start to mature in that faith that we've been shown as children. And then eventually we get to the point where we stop just maturing ourselves, but we start being involved in the work of the kingdom, bringing other children into the kingdom, developing other children into adulthood, and so this spiritual development goes on. And he talked at one stage in this seminar about how Galatians, uh, I think is it Galatians 4, um, where Jesus talks about the pedagogue, the uh, the, the person who looked after you in nursery school, he likened the Old Testament to somebody who would come in kindergarten and look after you until the time had come that you could mature and grow up in the faith. And Paul tells us that really Jesus was coming for that fulfillment, that we, there was a growing up of the, of the faith, that the Old Testament rules were there in order to keep us for this moment when maturity was now possible through what Christ has done and the Holy Spirit being poured out into our lives in a way that it hadn't been in the lives of those in the Old Testament who therefore needed the law in order to keep them uh, in some sort of uh, controlled way, I guess, uh, if I put it badly, in the middle of that sermon. And I started thinking about that 
to do with our lives. And one particular picture in the Stockman liturgy uh, came through. At the time that Yancey was uh, preaching this, we were trying to educate our children to cross the road. And it was very liturgical. You got to the curb and you almost had your toes right on the curb. It was almost Anglican or Catholic in its uh, working out. And then you looked both ways, very, very carefully looked both ways with real intention, and you walked straight across the road. I mean, you didn't divert to any degree either side. You walked straight across the road, looking and listening while you crossed. Not sure about the Presbyterian code, but the Green Cross code certainly I grew up with that and the Tufty Club, and I knew what the best way to go was. So while we're trying to teach Jasmine and Caitlin at their age to cross the road, that liturgy was vitally important. And then there was a Saturday morning. I think we were walking up to Cadogan Park, but I wanted to buy Q magazine. So I needed to cross the road to our favourite paper shop on the Lisburn Road, and off I went. In all kinds of speeds, in all kinds of directions, dodging the cars on the Saturday morning on the Lisburn Road as I went. Ran across that way, ran across that way, met up with the girls further up, and though they didn't say it, something in me said, right, that wasn't a great example of the liturgical way to cross. But then it struck me that had I not put into practice every part of what I was teaching them in my more mature way, I would have got knocked down. If I hadn't looked both ways while I was doing the dodge, I would have been knocked down. If I hadn't been watching and listening while I crossed, I would have been knocked down. So in other words, all the teaching that my mother and father and grandparents gave me when I was young had become so much a part of me that I didn't need the law of it anymore because I was now mature enough to live it out in the way that we live things out. And it was a real moment for me that said, that's it, you know. You see, Jesus isn't against fasting. He's against fasting while God's in the present. Jesus is here. Don't fast at this point. Make the most of it. When he goes, then we can fast after that. He's not against the Sabbath. He's not against us getting rest. He's not against the meaning and the reason that he puts things in place. What he wants us to do is to realize that the Sabbath isn't rules that we need to keep, that it was there for our benefit, and when we're using it for our benefit, we don't actually need to keep as tightly to the rules as we did before we matured. The question we ask in the Sabbath is, is what we're doing something that's helping others? And if it is, then that's not wrong to do on the Sabbath. That's what Jesus is trying to get across in these stories and moments when he heals people. And when he, he's trying to say, look, this Old Testament stuff, it was laid down ultimately so that you would be holy. And because you didn't have the Holy Spirit within you in those days, we needed to make up all these rules to try and fence you so that you wouldn't lose this possibility of holiness. But now that the Holy Spirit's within us, you don't keep rules. Holiness is not about keeping rules. Holiness is about doing the will of God. And we mature beyond the minutiae of the rules. 
into thinking for ourselves so long as our thinking is transformed by the word of God. I think that's an interesting way to begin to look. And can I suggest that maybe within Protestant evangelicalism, we've been frightened to grow up. And we've not only kept the rules, we've worshipped the rules and almost become Pharisees in the light of it. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The new wine shouldn't be in the old wineskin because we don't want to lose either. But this new wine, this Holy Spirit bursting forth wine, needs new wineskins, but let's not throw the old skins in the dumpster. I'm interested in wine. I am. I'm interested in wine because I have to say I find it incredible that this isn't wine. And when I told Father Gary that it wasn't wine, I'd love you all to have been there to have seen his face. He thought we were probably heretics to start with. But when he heard what we were putting in the communion cup, and if you go to many Presbyterian churches, you will find that it wasn't anything to do with Jesus' blood. It's now the cup. The bread and the cup. It's because we don't even want to use the word wine. Well, if they're just symbols, and we can use anything, why not Coke and chocolate? If it's just symbols, why is it not Coke and chocolate? It's not just symbols. It's symbols that Jesus told us to use. He had a purpose in what he told us to use. And as Frederick Buechner says, a Presbyterian minister in the States, unfermented grape juice is a bland and pleasant drink, especially in a warm afternoon mixed half and half with ginger ale. It is a ghastly symbol of the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, especially when served in individual antiseptic thimble-sized glasses. <laughs> Wine is booze, which means it is dangerous and drunk-making. It makes the timid brave and the reserved amorous. It loosens the tongue and breaks the ice, especially when served in a loving cup. It kills germs. As symbols go, it is a rather splendid one. Let us not kid ourselves. When we break the bread of the nourishment of our faith, and when we partake in the wine, the blood of Christ, these are not just symbols that we can use anything. It would be wonderful if we were biblical in Presbyterianism when it came to the most important sacrament. But what about this new and this old? There are times when new wine bursts in with an extraordinary freshness. I guess if we went back to the Reformation, there's something new happening and the old wineskins weren't very able at that time to deal with it. Something new came in. I guess if we look back to the charismatic movement of the 70s, perhaps, within Protestantism and Catholicism, we see something new that we're still seeing, I think, the impact of many, many years later. 
the 60s itself culturally came in with such a different scenario to how we live life and how we read life and how we respond to life. And sadly, as we were looking at the gospel according to the Beatles, it probably didn't see a movement of the church to deal with something new that was coming along. In recent years, people have talked about emerging, emerging church. It's one of those words in Northern Ireland where if you watch CSI like we do to wind down of an evening, um, they have that yellow and black tape, the CSI investigation tape, and you pull it across if you don't want to be going there. Talking to Catholics in Balamina, that would be one of those CSI tapes or communism in America in the early 60s, one of those CSI tapes. Or emerging church in certain evangelical circles of Northern Ireland. Because if you mention emerging, suddenly everything about it's wrong. And it's this movement of younger people. When I say younger people, I keep saying that I think that's an under 50s younger people. Are needing new ways to share their faith. I don't know whether I shared with you before, but who am I to have the ego to think you would remember even a had? Um, Two friends from two different denominations and churches, but very strongly committed to those denominations and churches in their late 30s at the time of these meetings. Both happened in one week in our house. And they came in and they said, oh, both of them. I don't know where the conversation went, but they both came to their midweek house groups. And they just said how fed up they were with comprehension house groups where we look at verse 4 and we say something about verse 4. Did Jonah go into the bottom of the boat before or after the storm? And they're saying we, we don't need that kind of Bible study anymore. We want to be honest about the struggles we have in our faith. We want a group of people that we can say this week, I don't know whether I believe in God anymore or whether they're struggling with something in their family and they can say, I'm just weary. And not get the answer, well, actually, if you're looking for an answer to that, Romans chapter 8, all things work together for good. So it'll work out sometime. Don't worry about it now. That's the answer. They were fed up with that kind of seamless enlightenment. I'm probably wrong, and there's people in the room who will question me using those words. But that kind of seamlessness that we had for a long length, it was bursting through that they wanted authenticity. They wanted relevance. They wanted something down to earth. Or the worship that we sing on a Sunday morning. I, many know, I'm not a massive fan of new worship music. But I understand the need for it because the generation needs to feel and experience in their worship something of the closeness to God. This is something that's fresh and new amongst a subjective generation. They need to not only understand the theology of the words. Sometimes the theology of the words have gone by the board. That's my problem with it in order that they might feel close to God in their worship. There's something that's changing. They want to be creative, but they don't want to throw the old out because interestingly, in these emerging church groups, the community of monasticism is beginning to have its play again. The liturgies that were written in the old Anglican prayer books are beginning to be brought in again, but they're looking for an artistic, creative, authentic, relevant way To experience the faith. And it may be that some of it therefore goes off the wall somewhere. As happened with the charismatic movements of the 70s. And as happened with the reformation movement of the 17th century. We lost lots of great things. 
But we have to be alert and wise as to how the new wine in this generation needs to experience and live out their faith. And I think we do it, but we don't call it anything. Tonight we will have three of the wonders of our congregation, no pressure, sharing some books that they've engaged with in their faith. It might be a new way to share faith, but it's a way that people begin to understand. Desi had me over in Union at the McGee Lectures doing rock and roll and Jesus. And so I asked, there was about 25 people doing these lectures and I asked them all why they were there and what fascinated me was that five out of 25 of them 20 percent and I didn't do that well in GCSE but look at that 20 percent of them said they were there because they were struggling or had lost their faith and were wanting to find a way back to faith they hadn't gone to seminars on the creed interestingly they'd gone to seminars on music on something that connected with their lives on something that touched the emotion and the spirituality as well as the cerebral in their lives. And we've got to make sure that we're mature enough in the faith as parents of the faith to maybe allow for this new wine to have its rightful and accountable place. Doesn't mean we're going to give up the old But it does mean that we've got to look around us and say, who are we missioning to? And what will Fitzroy need to look like in worship and mission if we're going to fulfill God's calling to us in 2010 rather than 1983 or 1943 or 1923? New wine. Always ready for the change that will come that will allow us to be relevant without losing the truth of the scripture to a new generation. And the most wonderful one of all is what we're about to do. Because we as a church can invite people to be part of God's family. Coming home. Jesus in these chapters as well as upsetting the Pharisees was welcoming people into the intimacy of fellowship. And so we come to take this bread and take this wine, not just as a tired old symbol, but as something that this morning might just infuse us with the energy and the cleansing that we need to be Christ's this week, wherever we go. Growing up from childhood into adulthood, into being parents that others might find faith through us. Let us just be quiet as we welcome, as we're welcomed to this wonderful table today. Lord, we are so aware that we need to receive your love. To open our arms and receive your welcome to open our hands and receive your gifts, to open our minds and receive your truth, to open our souls and receive your salvation, to receive the abundance of your life lavished upon us because you are love.
And Lord, this morning you long to welcome us. Like the prodigal returning home, a prodigal anxious as to what his father thinks of him, a prodigal aware of his sinfulness, aware of his rebellious spirit, his ingratitude, aware that his father's inheritance has been squandered, aware of the perilous relationship he has with his father, yet a prodigal welcomed with open arms, welcomed by a waiting father, welcomed by a father running towards him, by a father throwing a party for him, by a father exhilarated, a father consumed with excitement that his child who was lost is now found. Lord, show us the prodigal with nothing to do but receive his father's welcome. <coughs> Lord, we come to you as prodigals, sometimes thinking twice before returning, aware of our standing before you, sometimes anxious and worried about our unworthiness. Yet, you wait. You want to run. You long to throw your arms around us. You want to throw a party for us. As we come to this table, you're exhilarated, consumed with excitement about us. So as we come needing your love, your welcome, your gifts, your truth, your salvation, we want to receive the abundance of your life lavished upon us because you are love. In these next moments, Lord, may we receive your welcome and the blessing of intimate fellowship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit around this family table. We ask it in your name. Amen.